Welcome to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast, all about real estate investing in the Calgary market. And now your host, Corey Peckford. Hey guys, on today's show, I'm being interviewed by Taylor Atkinson and Matt Glenn of Kelowna Real Estate Podcast. Taylor is a top producing mortgage broker and Matt is an award-winning realtor. We talk about investing in the Calgary market and we also dive into my backstory if you haven't had a chance to listen to their show, I would highly recommend checking it out. Okay, Corey, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks guys for having me. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. Yeah, yeah. thanks, Corey. You're nice a recognized, recognized voice in the podcast industry yourself. You've got a pretty successful show going right now. Yeah, it's starting to get some traction. I started actually releasing September 2022, but I was recording in the summer recommend that you kind of have about 10 shows in the queue before you start and that way you can release one a week right yeah we missed that little <laughs> i think it's a good thing like because there has been times when you get swamp busy and it's like you know it's tough to fit in a recording or find someone to, to be on the show right yeah and so my podcast calgary real estate investing podcast so it's not just specific i guess just to calgary because i interview people in other markets in alberta as well so but i try to keep it focused on the investing side yeah, yeah, it's a great show. I think our listeners would relate to it pretty well. Do you mind if we just jump into our icebreaker round and get to know you a little bit better? Yeah, let's go for it. Okay, so these are just four quick questions for you. What is your favorite Kelowna season? They're all Kelowna based, by the way. Well, my brother lives there and my dad lives in Kelowna. So yeah, I've been to Kelowna fair bit yeah nice and i must say that every time i've been i'm like how do i hack my life to move to Kelowna? so my favorite season is like summer because that's when i go right yeah. i haven't really been there much for winters so i hear it clouds over and yeah I don't get as much sunshine that kind of thing right yeah but the seasons i go are generally it's always nice and i kind of go walk by the beach or go swimming and i'm like i just feel like wow i wish i could live in Kelowna. on a real estate podcast and we'll show you how yeah, that's right. But your family started out on the East Coast and then you guys migrated out West and what you stopped in Calgary and some of your family continued or? I grew up, my dad was in the military. So right up till we did about 25 years in the military, then he retired. So I, I'm a Newfie originally, born in Newfoundland. Then, but yeah, I grew up on military bases kind of my whole childhood or off if my parents moved off the military base. But it's a lot of traveling, a lot of moving and I guess I have roots, but they just were never really established. I ended up in Calgary over 20 years ago, so I've been here for over 20 years. But my brother ended up in Kelowna. He was on Vancouver Island, ended up, I think, was through work. He ended up in Kelowna. And then my dad, because of the weather and the golfing, ended up in Kelowna as well. Awesome. Yeah. I think that's how a lot of people end up here. Yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah, very cool. All right, Corey, what's your drink of choice? Uh, coffee, cocktail, wine, beer? It depends on what time of the day it is. <laughs> <laughs> When I first get out of bed, it's coffee. So I like, but if if it's in the evening, yeah, yeah. If it's in the evening, it's beer, like a dark beer, like a, like a porter or something. Yeah, stout. Yeah, I like a dark beer. I love it. Yeah, that's maybe the newfie in you. That's right. Yeah, the Irish. Yeah. Okay. If you had twelve hours before you had to leave Kelowna forever, what would you do for fun? Take a helicopter ride. I think. I think that would be a cool thing to do: is rip over Kelowna in a helicopter. Yeah, that sounds fun. Would you get me one that Taylor was wrenching on, or would you? Yeah, <laughs> not anymore. We'll set you up on one next time you're in town, though. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. That sounds like a good idea. I've never done that. I think that would be kind of fun. 
Oh, yeah. I haven't done it a whole lot in my life, but the times I've been in a helicopter, it's pretty amazing, the view you get. Yeah. I have quite a few friends that are pilots, and then none have taken me up here. i got to bribe them with something to take me for a little tour. So Hit them, hit them up, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, I do. If you could purchase a property in the Okanagan in the next year, what kind of property would it be? Like investment or recreational? or? Well, it would be both. For me, it would be a short-term rental, for sure, something that could cash flow yeah, that I could use as well, right? That would be the ideal where you could book it for two weeks for yourself and stay there and it would cash flow yeah. and cover its own costs. Yeah, that would be the ideal property for me. Yeah, it's a pretty common answer for quite a few of our guests. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. If you go, oh, no, I just buy something that I, you know, cost me a ton of money and doesn't cash flow. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like a lake for Yeah. We've done some recent podcasts. An Airbnb short-term luxury manager came on a couple podcasts ago. And then, um, yeah, Emily kind of wrote a blog on some of the properties in Kelowna. So, yeah, we're starting to get a bit more data on that stuff. And you guys also deal with short-term rentals there, right? I'm sure you guys are involved with that there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's that time of the season again. So we'll we'll see how profitable it is this year. Last year was a little bit slower for sure. So hopefully yeah. it comes back up. Has there been smoke? Sorry, I don't want to take over the show, but is there? Has you guys have any smoke there right now from fires? Yesterday, yes, a lot. It kind of in the morning when we woke up yesterday, it was pretty clear, and then by the evening it was socked right in. Now it's like I'm looking out my window, I can't even see the lake. It is no socked right in. Yeah, I'm I'm actually on Vancouver Island right now, so it's blue skies. But oh, uh, lucky you! (laughs) Yeah, we have to change the name of this podcast to the Western Canadian Podcast here. Yeah, because most of the fires are in Alberta right now. Hey, that's uh, yeah, up north and Banff was on fire, and so the smoke has come into Calgary a couple times now already, and it's early, and hopefully they get it under control when we get more rain. Yeah, kind of used to that in Kelowna having it smoky for at least a bit, but May is an interesting time. Yeah. Well, can you give us a quick high level view on like summarize your life in the last fifteen twenty years in the next kind of four or five minutes? Oh, I usually always say whenever anybody asks, like, how do I got into real estate? I'm like, well, we got to go for beers or something because it's a long story. I'll try to keep it as summarized as I possibly can. So quickly out of high school, I became an electrician. I got my electrical trade and then I did an instrumentation trade. Basically short right after that, I went into instrumentation. That's basically like a process control, end up in big gas plants, that kind of thing, that trade. It's kind of like the one of the more technical trades, in my opinion. So I was heavily in oil and gas, basically right out of high school. Same with, I would fly in airplanes or sorry, helicopters in and out of sites north. I ended up in Calgary working for like an oil and gas service company. Then I started working for TransCanada Pipeline. I was a technician for a number of years for them. And a job came up downtown where I could be in their control room and be trained as a pipeline operator. So then I'm like, oh, I'll get the same salary, get trained as an operator. I'll do that. So I did that, got certified. But I guess as a backstory, I, I was working on houses all the time on my own in my own personal life. So like doing renovations, building decks because of the trades, maybe you just get the confidence to take on stuff be like, oh, oh it's, you're going to charge me 10000 for that retaining wall. Well, I'll do it myself, right? Yeah. Now I know how much I'm saving because it just, just cost me 2000 in material or whatever, right? So I would do that on the side all the time just to gain equity. Like your principal residences or did you know you were going to be real estate investing early on? No, I didn't know about the investing. I actually, my mindset had to really shift. My whole mindset was with my ex-wife, but we we were all about paying off our mortgage. Like we were just like we were like risk averse, and it was all about like let's get rid of debt. Debt is bad. Every dollar you could save and put on your mortgage and pay it off basically is what our goal was. Right? We would buy a property. I would do the work. I would renovate it. 
maybe do the basement development, that kind of thing, gain the equity, sell, and then we kind of do it again. So it was almost like a long-term flip, I guess, in a way. Like there's not a burr, you didn't keep it, right? You didn't refinance, but we would just gain the equity, like gain tax-free cash and then buy something else. And I would do it again and do another basement reno, development, bathrooms, all that stuff. So, and I would do stuff on the side too, as electrician, right? For people. So that's the backstory of like where I was in oil and gas, but worked in houses all the time on the side. So I ended up in gas control operating, but my kids were really young and it was night shifts. And I was basically really tired, you know, exhausted on night shifts all the time. And then from there, went into a gas scheduling role, which is more business based. And you basically sit there with spreadsheets and you, you know, you have to understand the operations of the pipeline. So then sitting in that role for a few years, I didn't like it. I wanted out. I started to apply in other jobs. And because I'm not an engineer, I was really overlooked for other jobs. And I was basically stuck. I was in the corporate world and I plateaued. In my personal life, I was now going through a divorce. So I had to go buy my own place, that kind of thing. So I ended up buying a place. It was a 59 bungalow. I had to inspect it. And the guy kind of, I felt like he kicked the tires. He didn't have a trade and he missed a bunch of stuff. And because of my experience working on houses, the only thing I didn't have was the equipment that he had, right? So when he charged me 500 bucks, missed items, felt like didn't explain things. You know, it would have been nice if he would have went through stuff, even though I already knew what was going on. But so right then I got inspired. I'm like, if he just made 500 bucks, you know, in like a couple hours, he was at this house and he's got a successful business. Well, I could start a home inspection company and do well, is my opinion, right? Or offer a better service than what I saw he offered me. So in the job that I was burning out in, which I hated, I didn't like the spreadsheets and being stuck in, you know, in a career that I felt very unfulfilled in. So I try to go quickly through this, but this, I went through a life crisis, basically. I hit bottom in my life, adult life. My mom was terminally with a liver disease and my friend was going through depression. And because I was living on my own, I was able to pour into my friend. He was a black belt Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I used to go to his club. I used to help him teach and got to know him and his family well. And because of my handiness, I would go to his place and repair stuff and fix stuff for him just, you know, because he didn't know how to do it. Helped him do stuff in his club. I built stuff in his club for him and, you know, fixed things there. Anyway, so we became very close friends and trying to pour into him to help him through his struggling depression. And unfortunately, my mom didn't get the transplant. And I was in Kelowna because I knew she was going to die there with my family. And unfortunately, you know, basically she ended up passing. And then my friend, we used to call him Chico. He texts me, says, hey, Corey, I'm going to come to her funeral. I said, man, that'd be awesome. I'd love for you to come here, you know, for her funeral. And then four days later, he hung himself in Calgary. So then I had to deal with that. So I had the divorce. I had my mom's death. And what I would consider my best friend took his own life the same, like four days after my mom passed. And so then I had to basically deal with her funeral, came back to Calgary and I had his funeral and they asked me to speak at his funeral. After then I was a mess. I was doing a job that was sucking the life from me and was just taking pills to knock myself out. Then I would go to work. I'd be in a fog because of the pills. And they tried to put me on like antidepressants, which it just didn't work. I felt like my brain was being bleached. So I put me in a bad spot personally. It was a valley that I had to try to get through. Thankfully, I did. In the process, I resigned from that job. And because of the earlier inspiration of becoming a home inspector, I thought, I'll just start a home inspection company. I cannot do oil and gas jobs anymore. I want out. And I knew because I didn't have a partner to lean on financially to help me, you know, because a lot of realtors will have a partner that's maybe has the benefits and has some sort of career that's stable. And that way, because real estate can be very sporadic as to when you get paid, that kind of thing. So I knew I couldn't become a realtor out of the gate. So I'm like, okay, well, I've got two trades. I'll go for a third one. And that's what I did. I started a company. 
and got a master certification as a home inspector and then did real estate part-time for a couple of years. And then once that started getting busy enough, that's when I switched and became a full-time realtor. So I did that in maybe 10 minutes. That was the <laughs> the story in 10 minutes, guys. Well, that is a lot. Yeah, you've been through a lot. So we appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, uh, good timing. Yeah, yeah I, there was a time I couldn't talk about it. It would be too emotional for me, but I've, you know, I've kind of gotten through that. I've accepted a lot of things about it and learned from it and grown from it. And, you know, I, I think everybody will go through some valleys in their life, right? And so I'm thankful I'm on the other side. Yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, knowing you and, and your brother, you guys have very strong mindsets with that type of stuff, right? So you're, um, yeah, you're inspirational that way. In terms of transitioning into that new business, did you not enjoy being a home inspector? Like what made you kind of go into real estate as an agent instead of like, you obviously, do you still run the home inspection business right now as well? Um, my plan was, I was hoping anyway to keep the home inspection company going. I had a good employee and I was thinking, okay, you keep this going on the side and I'll also be a realtor. I wouldn't do the inspections anymore. I would just have him do them, but it didn't work out. Like he's a great guy. He was a tradesman as well, but he just didn't have the hustle in him to chase the work and keep it going. And then the relationships that I had established as a home inspector, unfortunately, and I think this is a bit of a negative with home inspection business, but realtors are like the gatekeepers, right? So because the client builds that relationship and they don't know who, like it's kind of, hey, do you got a good contractor? So they always, or generally will reach out to the realtor and say, hey, who's a good home inspector? So the realtor is a gatekeeper. I had the relationships with the realtors and because I wasn't doing the work anymore, they weren't calling my business anymore, right? They were like, oh, when we book an inspection, we kind of want you there and we don't want, you know, your employee there. Even though I felt that he was a good guy and could do a great job. Yeah. So my business started to slow down and then I was so busy with real estate. It's like, I didn't want to have to deal with trying to schedule and all this stuff with home inspection. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to cut it loose. Insurance is expensive. Gained what I really wanted to gain from it, which was the experience and doing over a thousand inspections. It is a good business, I think, but I wish there was regulations that would make it a bit more separate. Like where, you know, if you were going to just go call a plumbing company, people just Google it. They're like, well, I'll read reviews. But even though I'm a realtor, they are the, really a gatekeeper to the business. So that can create a conflict, not to all, all realtors, but it can create a conflict of interest, right? So a realtor, if they just want a tire kicker because they never find anything, then maybe that's how they want a transaction to happen. Then that's what they're looking for, right? As opposed to someone that's very thorough and explains everything and so it is what it is, but that, from my experience, I thought that was a bit of a negative about the business. And then also, you know, you're 30 below out, snow on a roof, and you're going to move ladders around, and you're outside, and like yeah. that part sucks too, right? Like, Yesterday, I was at a home inspection, and the home inspector was in the attic, and it was 52 degrees. Mm. <laughs> Summertime, attics suck too. Yeah, because they're insanely hot. Yeah. yeah. I always thought too, I know a couple of home inspectors that turned into uh, realtors, and I always thought it was funny because... Uh, when a home inspector goes up to a realtor, like all their clients already have realtors, like kind of by default, right? So yeah. everyone you meet has already got an agent. So you're not really building it. You don't really know. Yeah, you can't tap into that database. You're right. Like it's not like, yeah. and I think there'd be a bit of conflict of interest. Like I'd have probably over a thousand emails from my home inspection business, right? But I'm not going to send out, oh, you know, I've switched to real estate. Yeah. I'm going to build my own business, right? And yeah. and if they know and like my service then and, and figure out, oh, he's a realtor and want to use me, great. But it's not something you can tap 
into and be like you have a lot of people kind of pissed you because like oh exactly do you want every realtor in your market to hate you (laughs) you just try to poach all their clients yeah no i was just thinking about that yesterday when i was at the home inspection because that was pretty funny yeah what was the catalyst that made you move into being a realtor and how'd you start that business then like obviously you're familiar with the industry and you have great connections but like you just said you can't really tap into that database so how'd you market yourself how do you get clients so one thing was the podcast helped I also knew I had a lead gen that I do, which is like for off-market stuff. So I was able to get traction that way through off-market deals. And then, you know, just like everybody, I'd hit some doors, talk to people, and just grind and hustle to get some traction, right? Now, being a full-time realtor, especially in the Calgary market, being the way it is, it's a challenge to get deals done, right? The pros about being the home inspector is you would do an inspection and you do have to do a report and stuff, but you say you do two inspections in the day. Generally, I mean, there's can be inquiries and bookings and stuff, but realtor is obviously there's, you're giving up a lot of weekends, a lot of evenings, and you're chasing a lot of stuff in a hot market that never materializes, right? So you're, and your paychecks are much further apart. Yeah. So for sure, it's harder as a realtor that way. Are you happy with the transition? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I am. I almost think of it like um, if you were looking for a used car and someone was a mechanic before, right? Let's say they were an automotive mechanic and they're your buddy. Then you bring them along to go look at the used car that you're going to buy. And that's how I feel. I'm like the mechanic because I show up at a house. You just I know what the year is. I know what to look for. I know where the money is. I know how they built it. You know, if the poly B is still there, I'll have a look. And it's like I'm the automotive mechanic showing up when I, you know, look at houses, right? So I feel like that adds value. You yeah. roll in with like your thermal scan and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I still have some good equipment that I kept. I'm not going to get rid of it all. Yeah, I don't pull out the infrared and stuff like it because I know like that only works if things like if you have to fill the tub and you have to drain the sinks, flush the toilets, you know, you have to do something that's going to make water show up for that to even work, right? So if you show up and nothing's been ran, then it's not really going to be helpful, right? Yeah. I always thought it was too funny or funny when the home inspector goes into like the ensuite shower and they're like, there's moisture in here. And then you tell the seller and they're like, yeah, I had a shower this morning. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, okay, yeah they, well, that. well yeah. there should be moisture. <laughs> yeah. 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 And not all home inspectors are created equal either. I know that there's some that basically do create bigger deals out of things than what they should, right? Yeah. Like, it's like, you know, if I were to go into a hundred year old house, well, it's not going to be to today's standards. It's built differently. It's, you know, there's going to be, you kind of got to expect based on when it was constructed, right? And be realistic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I would be there with my home inspector when we're going through with buyers, because like, sometimes you definitely have to put out fires or like, just ask questions like, how much does that cost? It's like, home inspector's like, I don't know, you could probably get it fixed for 25 bucks. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah like you can't yeah. get anything for 25 bucks anymore Come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah so um, i do that this for that reason but yeah i work with a few really good home inspectors so before yeah. we switch over to the more real estate uh career focus what's your craziest story from inspecting a home do you have anything top of mind that oh yeah so i was doing a inspection when actually my old employee was with me i was training them and it was a rental so they're sweet upstairs sweet down thank god the realtor was some realtors especially if the clients aren't there and they know me would back when i was an inspector would just hey here's a one-day code you do the thing right but this guy i didn't really know him so he followed us around the realtor which was great we inspected upstairs the tenants were there it was kind of in a rougher area they had a dishwasher that was portable that would kind of move around the kitchen right you'd plug in the hoses to the sink and like, I don't touch that stuff. I would look at it. I would use my flashlight as an inspector, but I'm not touching it. Like that's like, I'm not touching the hoses, none of that stuff. Cause it's, they just set it up. Right. So then we finished the upstairs, went to the lower suite 
And we were down there doing the inspection. And then maybe we were down there half hour and we hear yelling, screaming, lots of stuff going on upstairs. And all of a sudden water started to flood the basement from upstairs. Oh. And the water's pouring down and it's continuing to pour down. So the realtor runs up and he's trying to, you know, and what happened, something happened in the kitchen and they popped the hoses off and then that flooded the upstairs. And then guess what? Who do they blame? The home inspector. Oh, the home inspector was just here. It was them, right? And I was thankful that the realtor was there and it was the whole time because they, he could actually back us up as opposed to then if not, it would be tenants word against ours, like automatically blame, oh, it must have been the home inspector that last touched it, right? But I think they kind of were getting into a bit of a fight and they must have bumped into it and actually pulled the hose off or something. And it just kept flooding the kitchen area. So, I mean, did the transaction still go through? The bad oh, house? I don't know. I don't even know. I, I doubt it. I don't think so. No. I've been in some sketchy houses too as an inspector because you don't know if there's needles under a mattress. You don't touch anything, right? When you get in those houses, you use a flashlight and you just kind of look, keep your shoes on and you don't. Yeah, I'm not picking up moving mattresses and stuff. Forget that. I never really thought about that. I just always figured every house would be in pristine condition if you're selling it. But yeah, especially. <laughs> God, dude, not even close. No. No. And like uh, yeah. tenants that leave it ruckus because like they're usually not that stoked to be moving. Yeah. But like sometimes as homeowners, you go in there and it's wild. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I saw one recently as a realtor and I did I, sometimes I'll shoot videos and take pictures. This one was so bad I wouldn't do anything. I'm like, this is just horrify people. Like this is from a horror movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was bad. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, diving into like your real estate career now. How do you feel the market is in Calgary? Like Kelowna the last 12 months, like it definitely cooled off and now it's starting to pick back up again quite a bit. You know, that's kind of the spring market and the rates coming back down a little bit on the mortgages. What's Calgary been like? In terms of just, is it good for investors? Like we have people that are still investing in Alberta that are either living here or moving there, vice versa. So yeah, can you give us a bit of a review on what the market's like there? Yeah, it's changed for sure. So if I were to go back a little bit, if I said, talked about like January, February, the market kind of been almost flat, like the inventory has been low for multiple months, but it's almost like we hit a bit of a stalemate and maybe even like November, December, I could include in that, but interest rates had climbed up. And then inventory remained low in Calgary, but it was almost like people were thinking, okay, house prices are going to drop. We're, we're going to wait. We're not going to buy. We're waiting. We're going to wait for a deal now, right? So if I had a couple listings and they did the days on market were starting to climb and there wasn't a lot of action happening. And I mean, there is cycles in the market, right? And you get close to Christmas, New Year's, there's people are busy and they're not really want to go look at houses, especially when it's 30 below outside. But then, so I would say February and into March, the market started to kind of heat up quite a bit. And then our March kind of matched 2022's March, where we were starting to get bidding wars and multiple offers because inventories just remain very low, where people are starting to panic buy again, right? And so we saw that in March and also in April. So like last month, now we're into May, and we still haven't really seen a cooling yet, like because our inventory, our days on market is pretty low. And our inventory, like for all of Calgary, we're about 1.3 million people. And we might have a thousand detached homes on the market today. Each morning, I pull some numbers and I just put them in a spreadsheet and cross my fingers that we're going to see inventory. But in April, I would do that every day and I saw a little climb. And occasionally, like on a Friday into a Saturday, we would see a climb. And it was almost like it was weather dependent where, oh, it got warm out, people were busy. So they didn't buy Friday and Saturday. So inventory came up for Sunday and it was like, you can see just like little kind of blips on the radar and all of a sudden the inventory is gone again by 
kind of Monday, Tuesday, the little bit of gain that we had, right? So we're still at, I would consider it critically low inventory point. And it's actually, so we do, like you said, I work with investors from out of province. I work with investors that live here in Calgary and it's been difficult and challenging to close deals right now. For my clients, maybe I would say 75% are investors, 25% aren't. For all the way around, no matter what you're looking for in condos, they hit a high in Calgary in 2007 and 2014. And then after 2014, it dropped and it continued to drop for a number of years. And we stayed low, like condos were actually... So if you were the unfortunate person that bought one in 2014 and went to sell any time between that time and basically like three months ago, you probably lost money because we never hit those numbers again, right? Detached is different. But so condos right now have basically a new record for... And we're getting multiple offers even on condos, which hasn't been seen in, you know, like seven or eight years, right? Is there so, a lot of condos being built in Calgary right now? There's a decent number of buildings going up, but I don't think it's enough for the demand. Even our, I know like builders, you know, the subdivisions, Calgary has a ring road that goes all the way around. And generally in most quadrants, there is like a new development, new subdivision that's being, you know, built. But from what I've been hearing, the output's going to drop because money is so expensive, right? So because interest rates are high, they're battling against labor shortages and inflation. You know, concrete, I heard, jumped by like 10, 12%. So like they're having to deal with that. And then their cost of borrowing to, to basically for these projects has gone up, right? They cost the money. So they have to actually do less. They don't have the ability to meet the demand right now. So yeah, so the Calgary market, I think it sucks right now as a buyer. I've still got some deals done recently, but I even had one locked in where the price didn't go up. You are going to likely go into multiple offers. And the first thing that seems to come off the table is conditions, right? So if we're on a house, if I'm on a house for a client and they really want it and it's going into multiple offers, it's likely to get it. They're going to have to waive financing condition and home inspection condition. And then the price could also get pushed up beyond you know what the list price was. Given your best as a uh, home inspector, what are your thoughts on mandatory home inspections? I know there's been around here a bit. But... You know, I like the idea. I, I do like the idea because yeah. to give you an example, I was looking at houses. Sometimes with my clients who are out of province, I'll just shoot some videos, right? Or or I do audios, but I, I always have a notepad or I bring a printout of the MLS and yeah. a pen and I'm making notes the whole time as to, okay, you know, what's the foundation look like? It's almost like I'm doing this quick 20, 30 minute inspection. And I'm chasing it. Where's the money? Like, you know, what's the next three to five years look like? How's the roof condition right now? And anyway, so I'm looking at this one house and it was listed with concrete foundation. And I'm looking at the outside. I'm like, well, you know, they had wood covering all the foundation. Uh, There was some flower boxes and stuff there, but there was no evidence of concrete. And so then when I went in the house, brought my flashlight and I'm like looking underneath the, the utility room, it's all drywalled. So it was really difficult to tell if it was concrete there, get under the stairs. And sure enough, it's a wood foundation, preserved wood foundation. And I'm like, wow, that's a big mistake because, you know, so the realtor thought it was a concrete foundation. They marketed it as a concrete foundation. And now let's say in this environment we're in, the buyer shows up. I really want the house. I love it. I won't put in a home inspection. I won't put in financing. And it's basically a done deal. They just bought a house that's probably worth $100,000 less than what it should have been. You know what I mean? Like if you have the option to buy concrete or wood, you're much better off in my opinion in pretty much every case to buy concrete unless concrete has some sort of major defect, right? But it's like, anyway, so to me, that was like, that could be a $100,000 lawsuit right there, especially if that wood foundation has issues. And then the buyer circles back and says, oh, look, 
it was marketed with concrete and I just bought a wood and it's like, it opens up things like that. Whereas if you had a mandatory home inspection, those type of things would be flushed out and it would prevent lawsuits and prevent those type of things from happening, right? Well, to comment on that too, like I just had a file for a mortgage application. It kind of fell apart. Like we were able to find out an alternative solution for it, but for the subject property, the appraisal came back and exposed the same thing. So they never got a home inspection done, but the financing fell through because of the foundation. So yeah, if they waive a home inspection and they want to go in subject free, it's not even the fact that they may close on that property and it's going to be a lesser value, but they may you know, be under contract for something they can't close on because they can't get financing for it. Yeah. So you're right. Like there's a huge liability. I think there really should be a mandatory home inspection. Yeah, I think so too. Because that way, if it was mandatory, it doesn't matter how hot the market. That's the thing about the home inspection business. In a hot market, home inspector business actually dies. It really slows down, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's one of the first conditions to be waived is the home inspection if you want the property. In BC now, we have this three-day rescission period. So you have three business days and you can pull out of the deal. It costs you a quarter point to pull out the deal, but so a lot of people, we haven't really had a market where everyone's offering multiple offers unconditional since that's been brought in. But I think the idea is, is you have three days, get a home inspector in those three days, and then you can kind of go from there. So is that mandatory right now in BC? Yes. Yes. Every offer, you have three day rescission periods. So you have three days to pull your offer. It costs oh, wow. 100% of the sale price though. You got to pay the seller if you do decide to use the rescission. Okay. So what's that on a half million dollar house? Twelve fifty. $1,250. Interesting. Now, yeah. I wonder, would that drive, like if I had a safety net in a hot market and, I, and I'm okay with losing some money, I could be like, here's three offers. I'll take all three. And then you take your time and select to be like, oh, actually, I'm going to drop that's these two in. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what it's, it's kind of the reverse of what their intention is. <laughs> yeah. Well, another issue with it is how do you get that money? Because like the average house and phone is like around a million bucks. So it's $2,500. So you do three houses and you pull out a two of them, cost you $5,000. But like, how do you get that? You got to go to small claims or something like that? Or I don't know. How do you get them to pay it? I can see that being problematic. And yeah, that's not going to be a good solution, right? For that reason, like in a hot market, that's what I would do. I'd be like, I'll buy all three and I'll just pull the plug on the two that are actually not great deals and, and take the one that I like. Exactly. Yeah. I think the idea, like it's got a good intention, but yeah, that is a downfall. But we like really haven't had a market where we're offering like that. Right now, there's a lot of multiple offers going on in Kelowna. Like the house right below me got listed on Friday. There's been endless showings. It got listed a couple of days ago. But I just looked on the MLS and they got an accepted offer. I went into multiple offers. They haven't accepted, but there's still conditions for a couple of weeks. So like our market isn't quite hot enough yet to start having multiple unconditional offers. So we have to deal with that, but it's going to be curious when that does come again, but it will. For the home inspection, maybe they should have a, like a pre-home inspection, like a mandatory pre-home inspection, but it's submitted through a third party. So for some lenders, when we order an appraisal, we don't get to choose who the appraiser is. It's a random bid selection and it essentially goes out to approved appraisers. They accept it. That's actually the perfect solution right there. Yeah, there so is. do that with home yeah. inspectors where if you want to sell the property, it's paid for by the seller. You have to do like a pre-home inspection to even list it on MLS and that it's unbiased. Everyone gets to see the report. Yep. You know what you're buying? People aren't going to get burned that way. It's going to reduce lawsuits. I think that's a great solution. Yeah. Like, right on. That's my first good idea on this show. <laughs> <laughs> so if someone was either in Calgary or looking to buy in Calgary, because we spoke about this on the last show, 
Matt and I did was if somebody couldn't afford in a different market, maybe they're living in Vancouver, Kelowna, Toronto, you know, and they want to buy a property just to get into the market and they feel there's a better investment, whether it's appreciation or cash flow in Calgary. What do you recommend? Certain areas, product type, single family home for one, if you could do appreciation and one on cash flow, what are you kind of looking at from a numbers point of view? Well, if you live in Vancouver and you have that two bedroom, two bath, <laughs> you can buy a very nice place in Calgary. For that. <laughs> yeah, the market here is definitely more affordable, but we are going up. We are appreciating. We've gone up the last four months in a row. Calgary houses have appreciated and it, you know, the low inventory is playing into that. But for cash flow, I guess for, for people that I work with, I always like to know maybe how long they've been an investor. If they're a new investor, then I'm going to probably try to steer them. And especially, it's actually maybe a little bit better if they're from out of town. A product that's either been fully renovated and it's more turnkey or something that's a newer build, that would be a good idea. Certainly if they're newer and, and haven't really done a lot of hands-on. Because what I find is there's, you know, the one play that, and this is unique to Calgary, but basically if the suite has been existing before 2018, Calgary has an amnesty period and will not make you put in a second furnace or a second heating source. A lot of investors be strategic. You know, you're going to look for something that's, if you want a cash flow in Calgary, it should have a suite. Unless maybe it's a short-term rental, then maybe you could pull it off on just something that's unsuited. But even with a short-term rental, you will cash flow better with something that has a secondary suite. But if you buy a house that someone has installed the suite after 2018 and didn't do the separate furnace, then the city will make you go back and basically change all the ductwork and all that stuff. And it's really cost prohibitive, right? So buy a property that had a suite before 2018. And then the other one is having a detached garage is great too in Calgary because you can rent that out separately for say three to $400 a month. You've got the upstairs rent and then you have the basement rent. And also then you basically go to the city and apply to have it legalized. And what the city is going to look for is, does it have egress windows? And if it doesn't, so then you get the egress windows put in. They want a fire rated self-closing door on the furnace room. They're going to want the furnace room completely drywalled, which can be tricky. And I, you know, I know you guys know what that's like, right? The space can be small. You got all the plumbing pipe in there. You've got electrical in there. So it can be a small space, but then instances where you have to actually remove a wall to drywall the ceiling. You can't even get behind the furnace, right? You have to actually... So what looks like it could be a $2,000 job or $1,500 turns into five or $6,000 job. Depends on how the furnace room has been laid out. But So they will require that and they will require smoke detectors to be interconnected throughout the home. So if it goes off in the basement, the upstairs uh, people will also know that the smoke detector is going off, right? And it's obviously separate entrance, that kind of stuff. So those are the criteria that they're going to look for. They won't make you put in the separate heating source, which is a lot cheaper, right? So that would be the cash flow for appreciation. I think it depends on the quadrant you're in. So Calgary set up kind of like a grid. You got the Northwest, you got Northeast, Southeast, Southwest kind of thing, right? And downtown's kind of central to that. And you're going to pay more typically, Not I don't want to... I'm just going to generalize, but there's exceptions, right? But you're going to pay more for a product in the Northwest and Southwest in Calgary. Southeast depends on where it is in the Southeast, as in what community. There's actually some pretty expensive areas as well. But those areas tend to appreciate a bit more, but it also depends on the product that's in those areas as well. Core actually, because of COVID, actually appreciated less. So like if you were like in the Beltline, close to downtown, that area actually hasn't appreciated like some of the suburbs of Calgary, Right. And Calgary has a massive ring road 
that goes all the way around it. With amenities, they build these communities with everything. Unless you maybe want to go to a Costco or something, you can generally just stay right in your community and have everything you need, right? And they build some beautiful communities. So I think for the appreciation side, it really just depends on the product and the location as to how much it's going to appreciate. Yeah. So if someone was coming in, like what would be a single detached house with a basement suite? Are we talking in the kind of 600,000, 700,000 range? Because the inventory is so low, like I went and looked at a couple this morning. There was one in the southwest, not far from where I am right now. They listed it at 540, but it's a bit of a disaster. Like I went there and I walked through it. I shot some videos. The city even legalized it, which I couldn't believe it. But what I think inspectors kind of, you know, with COVID and stuff, they stop showing up and going in houses and they're doing a lot of video calls now with their clients and they're calling that good enough. But I think the price, if you spent 550 you might get something reasonably decent, but it might also need some work. The trick is, so I've got some clients, their budget say 500, 550. And if something comes on the market, that's a good product. That's very close to the top of their price point. I can go look at it, but if it goes into multiples, we're out like right away, right? So it's one of those almost you need to wait a week and see, okay, is it still sitting? Nobody touched it. Okay, now maybe we can go back and negotiate kind of thing, right? What are those kind of renting out for top and bottom? You know, I've seen some crazy rental numbers recently. I'll just try to do some averages. So I mentioned the garage already. So if it was a detached double car, maybe three to 400 on the rent there, if you're just going to rent it for storage for somebody, right? Basements, it depends if it's a one or two bedroom. And it also depends on the quality, like, you know, the finishes, you know, not likely to be high end, but just if it's nice, right? If it's been renovated, it looks good. I saw a one bedroom recently rent out for almost 1500 a month, but that was including utilities in the basement. And also, again, that depends on the quadrants that you're in. But generally speaking, all Calgary, the I mean, rents have climbed up everywhere. The vacancy rate's super low. So on average, let's say on a basement, you can get anywhere from twelve to 1500 depending on how many bedrooms and quality of the basement. And then the upstairs, you can see them anywhere from, I would say, 1800 up to 2500 for upstairs. Well, so yeah, so that's a great return. For- You're hitting over 4,000, right, on a property with those numbers. Yeah, you know, you can cash flow. But what I am finding is right now in this market, it's hard to find something decent. Like there's just a lot of garbage product showing up and they're trying to ask for higher price, right? And it's like, oh, I know the market's climbing and it's changing, but still it's like, obviously as an investor, you want cash flow, you want a quality product and you want quality tenants, right? And if you're missing that, it's not a good buy. It's not a- yeah. And what's the, the short-term rental what are the bylaws for Calgary? Calgary's know? super simple. You just, I think it's a $100 business license, which I think that was last year. I, I don't know maybe if they increased it this year. Even if they double it, that would be $200. And yeah, there's not a lot of restrictions on, only in the condo situation, you know, if you're in a condo building, then you'd have to make sure that that association allows it. But, but for a house, it doesn't have to be owner-occupied primary residence. No, it's not like Kelowna. I know you guys have more restrictions there, right? On the short-term rentals. Yeah. Interesting. Here, no, it's the Alberta way. Just like let it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not restrict things. <laughs> what about the tenancy laws? Like just for uh, long-term rentals? Yeah, no, that's, that's a good question because so from my view, it's just fair. Like, you know, some people would say, oh, it's actually more towards the landlord here. But I think just saying that it's actually fair. Like, I think it's unfair to the landlord in other provinces and it's quick. It's like the process is very quick. As long as you have a lease agreement in place, Everything's written down, it's signed, it's a lease agreement. And if the tenant doesn't abide by it, you as a landlord can have them evicted. If they stop paying their rent, you can have them evicted. There's also no rent restrictions either. So 
there are in the fact that like you know you'd have to wait a year you can't just every month be bumping up someone's rent that kind of thing but at the end of their lease if inflation jumped by six percent you can increase your rents by six percent the government isn't regulating that and restricting that right so the fact that you can evict someone within say two weeks if they're not a good tenant or they're not abiding by you know the guidelines you set out you can have them evict it and the fact that you can increase your rents plus there's no property transfer tax here as well so that's the other advantage right so and then we obviously we don't have a provincial sales tax either so those are reasons why a lot of people are hot on Alberta. Corey, why'd we invite you? We're going to lose all our clients. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. There's I, a lot of people looking at Alberta. Yeah. I mean, why do you guys think that it works in terms of the rental restriction? Like, so you can increase rent 10% a year if, you know, you can justify it. Whereas if you were to talk about that in BC, there would be an uproar. Like there's still very low vacancy in Calgary, right? So like, I think it just allows for the market to determine what is acceptable, right? And it does work because if you're a landlord and you're like, well, I'm going to double my rent. I'm just going to go to 4000 a month on my upper floor. Well, nobody's going to rent it, right? So the market dictates. Regulating. What, yeah, it is self-regulating. Yeah, And it works because then from an investment standpoint, you're not being restricted by, you know, all of a sudden your mortgage went up and you as a landlord have to pay higher property taxes, higher maybe utilities, your insurance, and now the government's restricting you. And actually, maybe you're losing money every month because of these regulations, which it, yeah. it turns it on its head, right? It's the other thing, I like, I guess it's a different topic, but I don't get the whole taxing of flippers the way they're trying to do and restrict them. When I see flippers, they go into an old neighborhood that's it's a distressed property. As long as they're a quality contractor, they can do some amazing work, bring it basically like a new product back on the market. They went and bought all the material from local hardware stores. They employed people. And then the neighbors, if you run comps, their values went up as well. And they're thankful that we took that distressed property and made it better. So I, I don't know. It's like, well, and there's should be supporting them. Right? Like if that business model was failing, then people wouldn't be doing it. But there's obviously a need for it. People are buying that product. So... Exactly. Yeah. Well, anyway, we could vent about this for a long time, but uh, <laughs> and we got yeah. the time here. So is there anything else that you wanted to touch on before we jumped in to our final round of questions here? No, not that I can think of. Okay. Well, we'll, uh, we'll dive into the ice maker round. Do you want to kick us off there, Matt? All right. All right, Corey. What's the best habit or routine that you attribute to your success and something you feel our listener could benefit from? Okay. I think maybe just finishing what I start. Not that I do that. All, there's times I, you know, try to create a habit and I fall off, right? I don't keep it going. But the big ones, I've always been able to finish what I started. Like it's the cliche, right? Oh, you start a trade, you finish it, you can always fall back on it. So I think that's the biggest one is just, you know, I'm glad I stick to it. Yeah, nice. That's cool. What is the best thing you've ever spent money on? You know, I bought a motorcycle this past winter, Indian Scout. Oh, oh cool. And it's fun, man. I, so that's maybe because it's it's new. Well, it's used, but it's a new purchase. I have had my license for a long time, but I ride with some friends and and I quite enjoy it. Like, I don't have to go crazy speeds. I just do 10 over speed limit and I'm happy. And I'm like, yeah, it's just a fun toy to go out with some buddies. Yeah. I heard that those Indian motorcycles are air cooled. Is that true? No, nope. mine's liquid cooled. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Nice. All right. What is the most impactful book you've ever read? I guess off the top of my head, it's like cliche, right? The Think You Go Rich, right? It's like everybody, you know. I love that book. It is good. Like, occasionally we'll go back and reread it, like every year or two years right obviously some of the stories are dated and old but the, it's all about the mindset right mindset's the same so yeah some of the stories i don't think would even make it on the radio 
<laughs> That's right. Yeah. But that book is legit, though. I love it. And do you have a favorite quote? Oh, shoot. Could you read it to me? I, I think I wrote and it down. <laughs> talking about a Albert Einstein quote. So a person who never made a mistake never tried anything new. That's right. That's the one. Yeah, that's the one I like. Yeah. You know, I'm okay with making mistakes. It's like I take it as a learning and I know I'm not going to be perfect, right? I try, I aim for perfection and I live with the results, right? It's like, you know, I tried and then I just learn from it and keep moving forward, right? So yeah, that's oh, great. Okay, what can our listeners do to help you? How can people connect with you? Obviously, your podcast, any other social media platforms you're on and buy a property in Calgary. How do they get in touch with you? They can reach out to me. I'm on all the platforms. So I mentioned my podcast earlier. So it's Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. I do post occasionally on YouTube, not that often. You know, I've got TikTok and I'm on Facebook, but if they search just my name, Corey Peckford, so C-O-R-E-Y and then peckford.com, I got a website. My number is 587-893-2272. But yeah, just a quick Google search and it'll show all everything that comes up, uh, you know, for yeah. all my social. Yeah, we'll throw all that in the show notes and um, yeah, hopefully people can connect with you. I mean, seems like a good place to invest. I know I've had some clients that have been purchased in Alberta and yeah, you guys have a, a good return. I had a client just sell in Alberta and it sold really quick and then they're buying now. So nice. That, that helped me. So <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah. yeah. People are moving. My neighbor just sold, sold in one day. I gave him some, he had a family member that was a, a realtor, but I was out there barbecuing, right? I have a client that was in Vancouver Island who couldn't sell and has been dropping her price. And I knew that. And a year ago, he was talking about moving to Vancouver Island. So I'm like telling him, I'm like, man, now's the time. I'm like, it's like Calgary's heated up and, you know, Vancouver Island is kind of pulled back. So then two weeks later, he says, yeah, I took your advice, listed with my family member. We sold the same day, didn't even hit the market and, you know, thank me for that. So he's moving. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Okay, guys. Thank you so much. I really appreciate yeah, uh, awesome. on your show. Yeah. Yeah. yeah thanks. And uh, yeah, we'll keep in touch. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peckford. I'm an investment-focused real estate agent in Calgary, Alberta. I'm also an entrepreneur, Red Seal electrician, and I hold a Master Home Inspection Certification. If you're thinking about investing in the Calgary area, please reach out and let me put my real estate expertise to work for you. I can be reached at 587-893-2272. Follow me on Instagram at PeckfordCorey, or my website is CoreyPeckford.com. Plus, we have a Facebook group. It's Calgary Real Estate Investing Group, so Craig for short. Please follow that. If you're getting great value from this podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. That would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.